Good morning, I'm Kevin Bachman. Thank you to everyone who has signed up for today's webinar, Strive and Thrive Post-COVID Innovation in Screening, Recruiting, and Hiring. Aaron Proietti is our guest today, author of Today's Innovator. We're gonna hang out for a minute or so and let everybody uh, get settled in and we'll probably start about one minute after the hour. Good morning again, I'm Kevin Bachman. Thank you to everyone who has signed up for today's webinar, Survive and Thrive Post-COVID, Innovation in Screening, Recruiting and Hiring. It's one minute after the hour, so let's go ahead and get started. As I always say when I give a webinar presentation, I, I know how valuable everyone's time is. You have a lot of different choices on how to spend this hour and you chose it to be with us. You chose it to be with myself and Aaron Proietti, the author of Today's Innovator, our guest today. It, it, it's really humbling, and we'll do our best to make it worth your while. During the webinar, feel free to submit questions, which we'll get to during the question and answer session. We have a few that were submitted prior to today that we're, we're also excited to tackle toward the, the top of the hour. I'd like to take a moment now and introduce Aaron Proietti. Aaron spent 17 years driving innovation inside of highly regulated industries, much like ours, uh, including the credit card industry. He spent time at Capital One and the life and health insurance industry during his time at Transamerica. At Transamerica, Aaron held the roles of Chief Innovation Officer, Chief Customer Advocate, as well as the head in marketing, uh, excuse me, the head of the Marketing Innovation Lab. He hung up his corporate cleats in 2016 to figure out what he wants to do when he grows up, much like all of us, right? Uh, since then, Aaron's written a book on innovation that focuses on how to build an environment where innovation thrives, and he's launched an innovation coaching business by the same name of Today's Innovator. On a personal note, Aaron's been one of my best friends for over 30 years, and each time we talk, I'm reminded just how much smarter he is than me. So if you're a frequent listener to me, either at PBSA or on other webinars or my podcast, Background Check Radio, and you think I bring a lot to the table, you guys are in for a treat today. Aaron has a big brain, and I'm very excited that he's here to share it with us. Today, he'll share his concept with us, what innovation is, what it isn't, and some of the common misperceptions of it, as well as its applicability in today's business environment. I'm here to translate and offer some real-life examples on how these ideas play into the hiring, recruiting, and screening space. We're going to cover a lot in the next 60 minutes, and I'm excited to dive in. Aaron, take it away. Thank you, Kevin. I hope I can live up to uh, that, that great opening. Um, I always like to start out talks about innovation with building some excitement about innovation. So even before this era that we're in, this COVID era, the, era, the world was changing, and it was changing really fast. And I know that everyone knows this, but I like to talk about it because it gets it sets the mood. Um, we have blockchain, and if you haven't heard about blockchain, it's a, it's a fairly simple technology that's getting a lot of buzz right now, and it's behind all of the cryptocurrencies that we see. At its core, it's simply a distributed ledger, and it cuts out the need for centralization uh, of anything. So anytime you have a transaction, blockchain will help provide irrefutable proof that that transaction has actually happened. Um, so it's a pretty exciting technology that could be used for things like immune certification passports, during COVID uh, to certify that, that every person is in fact vaccinated or has antibodies, that sort of thing. Artificial intelligence is an exciting area uh, of innovation and it's quite a simple concept as well, although it sounds like it's really exciting. Most artificial intelligence is actually not very intelligent at all. What it is is just pattern recognition technologies applied to solving problems. Uh, it's currently being used extensively in uh, the search for treatments and vaccines for the coronavirus. Um, 
I like to talk about autonomous driving because it blends multiple categories of technology advances and innovation. Um, and it's, a, it's an area that's advancing very quickly as processors uh, that are found in computers, as the sensors that are found in your cars, and as the 5G telecom network comes on board, we are very likely to see autonomous vehicles be a regular part of our life going forward uh, in the very near future. And, and the feel-good uh, technology that I show here is what's happening in renewable energy. What we're seeing there is that the cost of wind and solar is falling as the performance and capacity of wind and solar is actually improving. This is called price performance doubling. It's a really exciting trend. So not only is it happening, but it's happening at an exponential rate. And this is likely to change entire business models of energy production and consumption. Um, so it's a really exciting area and it's something that's really gonna change our lives in the next decade. And a couple of those are cool concepts, Aaron, especially when you talk about, um, you know, essentially in layman's terms, hey, performance is getting better, cost is going down. Um, and there's two other things you mentioned here, which are really hot topics in our industry right now, blockchain and, and AI. Uh, I'll, I'll say it up front for everyone listening. Aaron's not going to say, go to blockchain, go to AI. There you go. Thanks for signing up for the webinar. That's, that's not really what we're what we're talking about today. No, most likely those things will come to you. Uh, you know, there's there's great solutions being developed outside of your organizations, and they are going to find you because they will have a sales force on the ground. Yeah, well, well said. Um, you know, and and one of the challenges I think for us in 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 this space, when when we think about innovation, we think about risk. We tend to think innovation, take chances, try new things, experiment, and. A lot of us here, whether we're in HR screening or recruiting, we kind of say, well, how do I do these things when I'm playing with live ammo all the time? When, when every consumer report is a potential lawsuit, every job interview or application we receive through an ATS, who do we interview? Who don't we interview? How long do we have to keep these papers around? And, and sometimes that fear kind of creates artificial constraints. It, it, it definitely can create you know, business and, and, and revenue constraints. Um, and we'll talk a lot about that. So yeah, thanks. yeah, exactly. Yeah, have faith. We'll discuss some of these opportunities available to us, and and um, and how we can how we can uh, apply these principles to our own business. The yeah. S curve is something I'm I'm really excited to to dive into. Yeah, it's, it looks like a technical slide, but it's it's really not. Uh, I mentioned that the renewable energy business model is changing uh, very quickly, and. A lot of people ask with innovation, what was wrong with the old business model? Well, this S-curve is, is actually what's wrong with it. So as time or effort increases on a certain business model or technology, the performance also improves. But as you get more and more people entering that market, you start to reach a period of maturity where you get diminishing returns on that business model or technology. Now, when you're in this expansion phase where you know, you're getting huge returns on your investment, you know, these market leaders in the expansion phases, let's take like an Apple in, in the iPhone, in the early iPhone phases, it's very difficult for them to focus on threats of disruption. All right, they're going to be fat and happy and they're just going to want to continue to grow. And you have to be very disciplined in, in order to focus on disruption in that expansion period. What more like, what's more likely to happen is that as you reach this period of diminishing returns at the top of the S-curve, that's where organizations and teams and even individuals will, will make some sort of declaration of innovation. They'll say, wow, I'm not getting the bang for the buck that I used to get. I need to suddenly invest more in innovation. And you know that's not necessarily the best time to be doing it. Now with our current environment with COVID, we're still seeing this shape happen, but what's actually happened is that we progressed to the top of this S-curve very, very quickly. So there were gradual shifts happening over time that have accelerated to become more immediate changes in our landscape. So we're feeling pressure now to change. We're feeling pressure to innovate. Um, so we've got stuff like the, the digitalization of the workforce, right? The fact that we're on a webinar here and I'm not standing on a stage behind a podium. We've got new crowd monitoring techniques happening uh, on police helmets. We've got new delivery models such as robots or you know, the adaption of ride sharing into uh, restaurant delivery. So Lots of declarations of innovation are being made right now at the tops of, top of these S-curves by organizations facing new pressures, new constraints, new rules, and like you said, Kevin, new regulations all over the place. Yeah, I, I like this breakdown here because the, the screening industry is, is a pretty mature one. Um, and so now I'm speaking specifically to that part of our audience. You know, we, we know there's a big marketing push 
from from several companies in, in our space and I don't pass judgment on on how different firms try to uh, differentiate themselves and, and and win in the marketplace but you know we are hearing a lot from competitors to this to define the industry as is old it's crusty it's slow now uh, they're not saying that you're old and crusty and slow but, but they're making that claim to show why why they're different they're the disruptors but that's not really the same as as the innovation concepts that, that we're talking about today it's funny you mentioned that because when i was at transamerica we described ourselves as a sleepy and stuffy company and our CEO at one point came out and said, you know what, I don't want to be sleepy and stuffy. We will innovate. So he made this declaration of innovation. Um, and I, as the, as the innovation leader, my goal was to make it less sleepy and stuffy. Really, really that was it. Um, this is a pattern that repeat, repeats itself in different industries. It shows up all over the place. You've got someone from on high who's feeling this pressure, who states, we will innovate. Um, and unfortunately, that word innovation is interpreted very differently by different people in the organization. What often happens is that a declaration of innovation is formed as an idea first approach, right? The CEO has a pet project or someone says, we're gonna open a suggestion box or someone starts with a brainstorming session before framing up a key business problem. Uh, and it looks like it got cut, cut off here, but employees might say, what's different this time? Because they've seen this flavor of the month recur over and over and over again. Um, if you're interested in innovation, want to learn more, a great place to start is, is with Clay, Clayton Christensen. Of course, you could also read my book, uh, but Clayton Christensen is a great author, author in his own right. Um, what happens is generally when this declaration is made, it's a signal that the organization's not on track to achieve some result or some objective that it was required to achieve. But like Clayton Christensen says here, if you defer investing your time and energy until you see that you need to, chances are it'll already be too late. Now the COVID disruption has leveled the playing field a bit for, for organizations because now they're all feeling this pressure at the same time. And employees who are in a crisis mode are, are more likely to recognize what's changing in front of them and to feel the urgency to change. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily make them any more prepared to innovate. So what exactly is it that we're talking about here? So I've gone, what, four slides now without actually talking about what innovation is? Um, that might be a record. Uh, as I've gone to <laughs> conferences <laughs> in the past 15 years, I've been to you know hundreds of innovation conferences now. Um, and what's funny is that there's this element in every innovation presentation. It's someone standing on a podium uh, saying the, the Merriam-Webster's <laughs> dictionary definition of innovation is this. And it's, you know, when you step back from it, it's very odd. Imagine going to an accounting conference or a SHRM conference and, and seeing every presentation start out with the definition of human resources. It would just be absolutely absurd. But here we are with innovation. We're in that, we're in that situation. Um, I didn't know how critical this question was when I was at Transamerica. And I, I had a chance to go out on a road show to talk about the big innovation initiative that we were rolling out across the organization. And at each of these sites that I went to, I presented a slide like this, and I, I asked the question of the audience, what is innovation? And I began to hear a pattern, and someone would raise their hand and say, it's product development. Someone else would raise their hand and say, creativity. Someone else would raise their hand and say, you know, it's, the, they'd give me the astute answer, like it's uh, creating a business model to solve customer needs, right? And I'd get the myriad of answers, but there was a consistency to them. And the consistency was that innovation was consistently misunderstood. Um, there was no consistency in how people approached or framed innovation, and that can doom any innovation effort from the start. Uh, Kevin, you and I had this conversation uh, just a few days ago, and of course in the conversation, you offered up a few different answers to this question, which were different than what I've heard. Um, you talked about brand and vision statements and policies and, pre and processes and sales tools, and you know, it, it was fascinating to me to, to relive uh, that moment from my presentation past. <laughs> so ultimately, what I learned is that you know you actually have to demystify innovation. Um, it does mean different things to different people, and the definition itself will be very fluid depending on what you're looking for. You know how you're trying to implement initiative, uh, this innovation initiative, and you know what types of outcomes you're trying to get. 
it took me two years of being a chief innovation officer before I came up with this definition, which was inspired by the incredible management writer, Peter Drucker. Um, and I found that this definition that I offer here can be used fairly broadly. Uh, so regardless of where you are, you can use this definition and then refine it as you see fit. Innovation is the core organizational competency for responding to the everyday aggressive pace of change. Now I wanna break it down just a little bit. Uh, what this implies is that innovation is not a tangible thing, right? It's not a project, it's not a product, it's not a team, it's not a person, it's not a department, it's not any of those things, right? Innovation, when positioned as a competency, is no different than something like marketing or communications or leadership, right? It can be found anywhere in any department. Um, so it's found in marketing, it's found in sales, it's found in human resources. So the question is not, are we innovative? When you position innovation this way, the question becomes, how innovative are we? You approach innovation as a competency or a quality. Um, but that begs the question, how do you actually do this? And I think the answer is found in the second half of this statement. Um, by improving your ability to recognize and monitor and, and respond to the everyday aggressive paces of change, through improving your organizational agility, improving your nimbleness, improving your, your awareness, improving your, improving your creativity and your rigor, all of that stuff, whatever fits in your organization, um, your goal ultimately is to become a responsive team or a responsive organization to change. And, and this is, and I, I didn't tell Aaron this, but for me, this is probably the most exciting slide in this entire presentation. And it's nothing more than text. Now, doesn't mean the next 40 minutes aren't going to rock, but this really breaks down the idea that, you know, in, innovation is a skill. It's, it's a competency. It's not a to-do task where, where your boss hands you a, a, a list of items to complete. That's where it really, really starts breaking down for me. Yeah, when you do something, you can either do it in a very rote or boring way, or you can do it in a very creative and innovative way um, by, by continuously improving, right? So I talked about the, the responsive organization. This is your objective as if you're trying to innovate, you wanna become responsive, but what does that actually mean? Well, consider all the change factors that are presenting themselves right now in the last four months. We are now, whether you're sitting at home on a webinar or if you're on a team or you're inside of a complex organization, you're tracking rapid market changes, right? You're seeing shifting competitive landscape. Obviously, as consumers, our trends and preferences are changing very quickly. Um, there's new technologies coming on to help us cope with, with all the change in the world. Um, there's obviously a new legal and regulatory landscape. We've got new political figures emerging. We've got new regulations emerging. Um, and you start to see different industries merging as well. So it could be that if you're in the restaurant industry, suddenly your best friend is the Uber, <laughs> the Uber driver, right? Who's gonna deliver all of your, uh, all of your orders. And that's, that's a new phenomenon, but that's what innovation is. It's just recognizing that there's an adjacent industry that, that you could borrow from and capitalize upon. And obviously we're all feeling incredible internal pressures right now um, to change. And I, I can't think of a single industry that's not feeling that type of pressure right now. Um, and it becomes an exercise in agility and creativity, not just in resilience and grit, right? If you're truly going to change, you need to change fast, you need to have a creative solution, and you need to try to be more innovative in, in the way that you approach that. Now, responsiveness isn't reserved for just organizations, so let the title of the slide, you know, <laughs> let it slide. Um, you yourself can be responsive, right? That's a competency that you can build from wherever you sit inside of an organization, you can monitor what the competitors are doing. You can monitor startups. You can look at new platforms. You can look at the new regulations that emerge and you, be, you can become experts in these things. Um, so individuals, teams, and organizations can all be incredibly responsive. You know, as we, as we look through these, I know one jumped out to, to most everybody here, if you're, you know, regardless of whether you're, the, you're a screener, um, an HR generalist or, or a recruiter here on the call, um, legal and regulatory changes. That's, it's just a huge issue in our space. But you know, these, like Aaron said, these elements touch us all. Um, I've, I've had conversations just within the last couple of months on really every one of these topics, you know, sometimes within the, the same shop echoing 
Aaron sentiment that that so much is is so different um, in the last 90 days. But you know, with that comes so much opportunity. Um, and and I just I think I think about it through our space, consumer trends and preferences. Some recruiters and hiring managers want it faster and cheaper. Others want it deeper or beyond the standard scope or depth of the work that we do on a daily basis. And and we have to internalize and say, you know, are we a company that does one? Do we do the other? Do we do both? Competitive landscape and, and some of the technological capabilities or, or limitations that, that we see and Aaron talks about. Uh, how much do we do we look out at the marketing and, and CapEx investments of others? And, and do we follow their lead? Or how do we feel about what we're doing as a, as a shop? Is, is the solution a pivot or, or a double down? Startups, new platforms, uh, new, new um, adjacent industries. So like Aaron mentioned at the beginning, you know, who's talking about trying to include health screening data as a result of COVID? Is it, is it HIPAA compliant? Who's talking about badges, whether it's a, a health badge or a portable employment verification, the, the blockchain badge that, that some of us are exploring? What do the industry lawyers think? What does is, what is your lawyer think? These are all the, the change factors in the HR space and, and the ones that he's, he's really challenging us to think about today. Great. And for the rest of the presentation, I'm going to tell you how to get better at dealing with all that change that's coming at you. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. really what this framework's all about is, um, you know, it, it's anyone can become more innovative. It's either you, your team, or your organization that's going to choose that path. Right. And essentially, you're choosing a creative mindset over a victim mindset. Right? You're not going to be a victim of this change anymore. You're going to create your way through this change and, and come out on the other side better for it. And I found this framework is pretty foolproof in at least improving your readiness at a baseline level. That's first, take a look at your status quo. What are you as a team or an individual or an organization? What holds you back from progress? Uh, pay attention to your culture. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about that. Develop an aspirational strategy for innovation. Don't just do innovation for innovation's sake, but have something that you're trying to attain. And we're going to talk at the end about innovation leadership, which is probably my favorite topic here. Uh, but let's get into this. So let's let's take a closer look. So anyone who has a, observed change initiatives, and I know that in human resources, yeah, Kevin, you can go to the next slide. I know that human resources uh, often is at the front lines of change. Yeah, this one. Um, in complex organizations in particular, what we what we find is that the gravity of the status quo is very strong, right? There's some sort of organizational inertia which keeps the status quo in place. So even when leaders or, or change agents push hard to try to promote change, um, what we find, and, and it's summed up very well by the, the 19, uh, 20th century economist and author and uh, educator, Edward Stemming here, every system is perfectly designed to achieve the result it gets. So restated, you know, there's a reason your organization gets the results it gets is because it is perfectly designed to do that. So whether you're failing or whether you're striving, that's why your, your organization is designed to achieve that. And you know, it's very profound. It's very matter of fact, but it's also very profound. Because to change the results, what's implied here is that you must change the system. Um, so with innovation, if you want a new outcome, which really is the goal of innovation, um, if you want new results, you have to change the system. And, and this is very hard, right? Your status quo is going to hold you back. And on the next slide here, we're going to talk about a lot of the anchors which actually keep you in place. Um, so what's keeping you, your team, your organization in its place? Well. Um, especially in a, in a functional group like human resources, you're going to recognize a lot of these anchors, or right? you're going to feel them very heavily. These are the weights that you carry with you. And so if you want to overcome the, uh, the gravity of your status quo, you need to identify these sources of the gravity. So these are the places you look. Look at your constraints. All right, what, what kind of time constraints do you have? Um, what kind of budget constraints do you have? Do you have people saying you can't spend very much? You have budget goals you have to achieve. What kind of rules or travel regulations, for instance? So all those constraints can keep you in, in your place, right? And you have to overcome them if you're going to innovate. Regulations we've already talked about, but I know Kevin, Fair Credit Reporting Act and, and, and other regulations impact you very greatly. Anti-discrimination laws, whatever it is, right? They're going to change 
the way that that you think about innovation uh, because they are holding you in a certain place in your business uh, very along that vein risks right you've got reputational risk that that uh, faces you in your organization you've got litigation risk uh, there's consequences of making mistakes no matter where you are right so the risk is very apparent and it can stop innovation in its tracks um, you've got ingrained processes and, and this you know there's behaviors inside of the organization whether it's just fulfillment methods or approval processes or checks and balances that are built within the organization these can really slow down innovation um, you might have systems and i know that particularly in hr this can be a sore topic but you might have some sort of system that you're working with which really slows down your ability to push out something new uh, so some sort of software installation or security protocols are going to limit the, your ability to innovate um, but the biggest one on here, and Kevin kind of alluded to this already, is the mindset. Right? This can be the biggest constraint on this page. Um, this is one of the mightier forces here. I used to repeat the same quips over and over to my innovation teams. Uh, the first one is, no one will love your idea more than you. Meaning, you know, don't throw your idea out on a table hoping someone else is going to run with it. Right? That's a mindset shift that you have to make. If you're going to be innovative, your ideas are yours to love. Your ideas are yours to implement. Chase them, go with them. And then secondly, the quip I used to make is don't wait for direction that will never come. Right? You need to overcome this learned helplessness that's found in an organization, this waiting for direction. And as an innovator, you're gonna create your own direction. You're gonna find your own path. Um, inside of a complex organization, that can be very hard because there's this learned behavior where some employees will only do things that they're told to do. And, and I've seen it time and time again, it's very difficult to overcome. Um, so ultimately, you know, what we're talking about here is culture and, and we're, we'll get into culture in the next slide, but I want to see, I know, I'm sure Kevin is bursting with seems to say something here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, like, like I said, one of my best friends for the last 30 years. <laughs> uh, you're right, mindset is just fascinating. And, and as I think through our, our listeners here, some of them leaders of organizations, maybe smaller organizations, they're internalizing what we're talking about, they're recognizing their themes and they're saying, okay, it's on me. Um, now, I, I, that applies for all of us listening here, but in terms of benefits to the organization, uh, I'm a smaller organization, it, it, it's me, it's primarily me. Other organizations, larger ones with, with teams of hundreds of people across the world, um, it's about me, but it's also about them. It's about the culture that you mentioned. And, and it, and Aaron, one of the things that I was thinking about from your previous slide is, you know, employees invariably will say, well, what's different this time? How, how do we get over that hump with yeah. the larger, larger companies? Is it just, you know, one bite at a time, one day at a time? Well, yes, but there's also this mindset shift that employees need to make, right? And there's this idea that when change is talked about, when change is shouted from on high, that we're going to be different, we're going to be more innovative. Uh, a lot of employees are hoping that they will wake up six months from now and that innovation change has actually happened. But what they have to realize is that for that to happen, they have to change too. You're not yeah. going to wake up six months later and everything changed around you, but you didn't change, right? Yeah. So there, there is a personal investment that employees have to make and that can be very difficult to lead um, because maybe you don't even know about it right essentially what you're doing is building an innovation culture yeah. and that's very hard to do culture cultural is hard and a lot of organizations have very entrenched cultures very rigid you know command and control consensus decision making cultures that fear change that hold on to very traditional organizational values like sales first or honesty or respect and trust right those things are not very innovative right that's just it's, it's a rock solid way to do business, sure, but it's not a rock solid way to innovate. Um, so culture can stifle innovation, but if you do intentional work to unlock your, your team and your organization's potential, um, culture is also the antidote, right? It's the antidote for overcoming the obstacles that, that you will face when you're trying to innovate. So when you're innovating, the words in black here are very important. You wanna create an environment where learning creativity, collaboration, experimentation, and risk-taking, or maybe smart risk-taking is a good way to say it, are the norms, right? You want that stuff to happen, that is innovation. And 
so some of the best practices for for shifting to a culture that has those traits and and you know groups like human resources will play a big part in this. I, I like to say human resources are often the keepers of the culture, right? They're the ones that hand out the rewards. They're the ones that track the behaviors. They're the ones that survey the populace and talk about empowerment, um, right? So it's human resources that, that's at the center of this often. They hold the, they hold the whole organization accountable. Um, there's a few th small things that they can be doing to promote this different type of innovation culture. And that's first and foremost, prepare your organizations for constant change. Don't settle for the status quo. Right? It, one of your values should be continuous improvement. We're always going to be getting better. We're always going to be pointing to things that we need to improve on. And if you're always preparing people for that, it can be a lot more fulfilling and a lot less stressful when the change actually comes. And the second one is, and I can't overstate this, involve employees in decisions that matter to them. How many times have we seen that we roll out a new policy and employees reject it, right? There's a, there's a complete and utter organ rejection, right? The new policy is, no, we're not doing it. But if you take a step back and actually enlist the employees to round out the details of the policy, they're much more likely to accept that change and accept that decision because they helped co-create it. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons I, I wanted to team up with Aaron on this webinar is precisely some of those points, the observation that this group, whether we're on the screening side, the hiring side, the, the generalist side, you know, we're the thought leaders inside of our teams and our company. This is, like you said, the, the organizational department or the function that, that many leaders turn to when we discuss the solutions and the, the work this team does can really pay dividends for an organization when done right. And it's it's breaking through, I think, that that mindset of, well, you know, we're 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 regulated um, and, and you know we just can't do it and there's there's risk. But you know, there's a lot of regulated industries, guys, medicine, <laughs> aviation, transportation, you know, e technology. Um, medicine's better than it was a hundred years ago. We fly differently than we did 100 years ago, back when we could fly. Uh, cars are better than they were uh, 100 years ago. So they, they could figure it out. And, and there's, there's really opportunities for us to do it too. Yeah, and, and to that point, if, if you're the one that's avoiding innovation because of the regulation, you're gonna be left behind in the dust because someone else is trying to figure right. out how to innovate in spite of that regulation or alongside that regulation. Right, um, it's, and, and maybe I'm still in your thunder on this. Um, you know, it's, it's risky to not take risks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to create an environment where the risk of taking risks is very low. Uh, and that sounds counterintuitive, but essentially that's what an innovative culture is, where individuals and organizations know how to take smart risks. Um, so let's talk about this next key. And, and you know, HR may not overlap with strategy very much, but strategy can exist. You know, it's funny, culture exists whether you design it or not, right? Culture is always there. A strategy will not exist if you don't design it. <laughs> so I love this quote by, it's either Simon Sinek or it's an old Japanese proverb, depending on where I find it in Google. <laughs> um, but vision without action is a dream. Action without vision is a nightmare. Um, so it's just saying that if, if you don't have a strategy and you try to innovate, that's just a complete waste of time. It, it's a nightmare. Um, so what you wanna do is you know, avoid just being innovative or trying to achieve innovation just for the sake of innovation. I know that it's a buzz buzzword, right? It's buzzworthy. It drives attention, right? Employees can get excited about it. Uh, but if you don't have context for innovation, what you'll find, and I'll go back to the suggestion box I talked about earlier. If you just put a suggestion box out and ask employees to submit ideas, it could be a virtual suggestion box or a paper one, you're going to get strange requests. And you're going to get stuff like, I want a different vacuuming schedule, or, you know, I want different coffee selections in the kitchen. You know, and these types of ideas, they might be interesting, they might be called for, right? But they don't drive innovation. So if that's your goal of a suggestion box, tear it off the wall and throw it away. You don't want it. What you actually want is some sort of strategy, you know, some sort of shared vision of the future that you're trying to drive the teams and the people and the organization too. If you do this really well, and we'll talk about in the next slide how to do it, um, 
you can really demystify innovation. And that problem that I talked about earlier of innovation having all these different definitions, it solves itself because everyone knows we need to innovate in this way in order to accomplish this thing. Yeah, and that's that's the, the crux of the disconnect that, that I see um, you know, between leaders like Aaron who who really focus on this and decision makers, business owners, operators that that I'll talk to within the, the HR space. You know, how do we how do we apply it? How do we do it in a way that means something? You know, a lot of conversations start with, um, hey, either my business is struggling or my business is doing well, but I want it to be better. And obviously those those are those are key things a lot of us are thinking about now during this COVID time. But it's usually it's it's the second sentence, it's the third sentence where people kind of get stuck. Uh, inside of their heads, you know, innovation isn't necessarily a new product. Innovation isn't necessarily um, just just a new widget on the on the website. And I really like that Aaron said, "Hey, it's kind of a buzzword, um, but but the meaning has kind of been um, you know taken and 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 um, you know you line up ten different people, ask them to define innovation. Like Aaron said, you know, you're you're gonna get ten different answers. Yeah, it's not some sort of magic bullet either, right? Uh, leaders are going to feel pressure to want to change the business. They can't just say we will innovate and suddenly you have, you know how you're going to change, right? It's not a magic bullet. Um, so the keys to innovation strategy are this first and foremost, orient yourself or your team or your organization to some sort of vision. And I love vision statements that go like this. We will achieve such and such by some point in time. So that blank, right? There's not a lot of specific specificity there very intentionally, um, but you can fill it out in your head, right? What do you want to achieve by when and why, right? If you can communicate that to employees, they can start to internalize what their role might be in innovation. And similar to how we said involve employees and decisions that matter, if you're going to develop a vision, don't stand on a podium and announce the vision from on high and expect that all the employees are bought in. When I was at Capital One, I was famously cynical about the, the strategies that would come out. Um, and I realized in retrospect that it was because I didn't have a role in developing the strategy. I had my own ideas about what would work because I was on the ground, right? I was dealing with the systems we were working on. And when I would see the disconnect between, between what I was working on, what the strategy was, I would get very frustrated. The best way to overcome that is to attain buy-in through the co-creation of the underlying objectives and goals. So if that vision is very general, right, we will become the most recommended such and such. Then you can ask the employees to help under, help you understand how you're going to get there. Uh, the second key is iteration. Strategy is not something that you're going to get right, right? The reason you have a strategy is because you don't necessarily know the answer. Right? You're not doing tactics, you're doing strategy, you're trying to plan, you're trying to figure it out. Um, strategy without process is just a wish list, I guess is, is how the saying goes. So you've got to develop some sort of cadence, some sort of execution process for progress review, shared learning, modifications of the goals and objectives. They are going to happen. And I don't know what the right cadence is, it depends on what you're doing. In something like an agile environment, the cadence is every two weeks. Every two weeks you stop and say, what did we just learn and how are we gonna change? In a stuffy insurance company, I can, I can say from experience that the cadence is about quarterly. Uh, if you're lucky, more likely yearly. And every once in a while you roll out this big five-year plan, which is completely unwieldy and never moves, right? Uh, it's not very innovative at all. And finally, you wanna focus on building some key protocols and this is where you want to admit to employees that there are going to be these constraints. There's going to be these roadblocks, right? There's going to be regulations, risk tolerances, budget conditions, things that we have to work within. We have to design around them or for them, right? These are the protocols that you know. And this is often not communicated with an innovation declaration. It's usually wide open, but the more wide open it is, the harder it is to achieve because employees will not know what are the rules of the game? What are the protocols? Once you establish the protocols, then simply develop mechanisms for employees to contribute. Can they attend brainstorming sessions? Can they attend strategy meetings? Can they hear the results of whatever initiatives that are going on? Do they have a chance to participate and weigh in? Do they have a chance to raise their hand and say, we need to stop because this is dangerous? Right? I think, Kevin, you gave, you gave me that point the other day, and I loved it. Right? You need to give them that opportunity 
to raise concerns about innovation. And and too often that, that's not built. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and for all us listening, right? It's it's okay to worry about the FCRA and the EEOC. It's okay to think about risk. It's okay to worry about expenses and revenues and to raise a hand before before rollout. Um, you know, I say a lot of my podcasts, you know, the, the only way out is is through when we try and look around or we try and find, you know, a side side entrance or, you know, we stop short, that that I think inhibits us from achieving some of the positives that that come from this. I uh, yeah, back to my comment about risk, you know, it's, it's risky to not take risks. Um, <clears throat> my mom and she listens to all my webinars, so she'll hear this at midnight. Hi, mom. <laughs> you know, she, you know, every time the stock market goes down, and you know, she's ah, just put money under the mattress. Mom, that's that's not really how it works. You know, you're gonna you're gonna lose three percent every year. That's it's it, it's okay to kind of look at the landscape and and find you know what what's your comfort level, what's what's that tolerance. Um, yeah, as I as I look at this, this is another slide I like a lot. Um, and I think of something specific to our space. You know, I use Aaron's example, orient to a vision. Well, you know, orient. Okay, we will audit one percent of our county criminal searches. Iterate. What's that regular cadence? Once a month, we're going to review with our leadership team, our quality and criminal record leaders, to discuss and review that month's findings. Build protocols. Okay. Now that we're doing it, we're auditing, orienting, we're reviewing the iteration piece. Now we're building the protocols. We're determining what results are acceptable. What isn't? How do we create channels of open communication for individual team members? Um, you know, so when we involve them, like Aaron said, now they get to raise their hand. They can recommend particular jurisdictions be included on next month's audit based on the things that they see day to day. They just don't retreat back into their shell and say, well, that's, that's not my problem. You know, they, they get to play a really empowering um, role in that process. Yeah, that's excellent. And Kevin, I would say if if you're already auditing 1% and you, you want innovation to happen, set your goal at 10%, right? You, you set your yeah. vision to be, we're going to audit 10%. And then you ask the question, what, what would it look like or how could we do that? And then you'll get the employees to participate in the idea generation. And that's not a suggestion box, right? That's a very focused conversation about what would it take to move from 1% to 10%. And that's where innovation happens. Um, the most important element of all of this is leadership. Um, if employees are expected to innovate, they have to feel empowered. And it's, it's teams and organizational leaders ultimately who create this environment where other people feel empowered. Um, great leaders provide structure to channel a team or organization's energy towards a desired future state that is both grounded in your current reality and pointed towards a shared vision. Right, the leader doesn't have the answer. What they're doing is creating what this is called is, is a creative tension. You are here, we need to be over there. I'm gonna walk out of the room right now. You've gotta figure it out. Right, that's a creative tension created by a leader. They don't pretend to know the answer how, they know the what and what needs to be. So I know we all long for this. You, you love a leader that gives you clear direction and tells you where you need to go, right? I'm about to shatter your world though, because this is very hard to do. And it doesn't require having manager or chief in your title to be this leader. Any one of you can learn these behaviors. This leadership discipline that I'm describing right here can be driven from anywhere in the organization. And this is, uh, it reminds me of something that I've, I've written about and and podcasted on in in the past and uh, you know like Aaron says some of these slides he can build into a full eight hour session right one of these slides <laughs> you can do a whole day on the example I'm going to show you I can kind of do the same thing I'll try and do it in, in you know in, in just under a minute but um, you, you know the idea that I've spoken on in the past you know go to your teams challenge your teams and and you know what I would say is have them be responsible for two new ideas a month to accomplish whatever goal we set out improve quality, reduce cost, et cetera. And say you have you know, five or six team members who are all coming up with two ideas a month and, and poof, you review them as a team and you kind of go from there. And you're gonna get some quick wins. You're gonna pick up some low hanging fruit and it's gonna be awesome. Um, and then the second month's gonna be a little harder, but you're still gonna find opportunities. By the third month, your team will hate you. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me come up with all these ideas, et cetera? What we're doing is we're building those muscles 
And over the course of a year, you look out that five, six person team, you got 150 new ideas. A hundred of them, you know, just doesn't work and we're going to throw them away and it's just not practical. 30 of them we're going to look at and we're going to see, yeah, there's some applicability there, but for a bunch of reasons, you know, maybe it's not for us. But a year out, you're going to have 20 really good ideas from your team, from that process that everybody kind of, you know, we collaborated and implemented. So two things I think of right now as I hear myself say this, well, why don't we just go get the 20 ideas that work? And I don't think it really works that way. Aaron might agree. You got to go through the process to, to come up with it, um, to come up with those ideas. And the other reason I recommend it is I bet everybody on this call can kind of look within their organization and they didn't come up with 20 great ideas last year. They just did yesterday like they did the day before. They're going to do tomorrow like they did today. And here, I think, is really where we see the opportunity. Um, uh, another example on the... Um, what I mentioned by that audit program, you, you know, like how, how cool is it now that I'm one of those team members, I'm a criminal records manager, I get to create and administer the program. I'm the quality control manager and I get to create the risk tolerance levels and, and boundaries for what's acceptable, what isn't. Back to that line level manager who, who now I can raise my hand. It's not just me and the one component in front of me. I get to play a part in, in something bigger. Um, and, and that's kind of that, that shared vision that leads us to running more accurate, more profitable, more compliant shops. Yeah, and each of those people from where they sit can be a leader, right? In my book, I right. outline six expectations of what I call innovation leadership. And again, it can be done from anywhere in the organization. I've seen it. I've seen leaders in accounting. I've seen them in customer service. And, and this is what they do well, right? It's someone who steps up and takes this person on. So first and foremost, at the top left, who is the person that challenges the team? Who's the person that seeks harmony within the team members? It's not always the manager, and I'd actually argue it's rarely the manager of the team, right? Because the manager's not seeing everything. They're not seeing the way the different team, manage, team members interact. You've got someone on your team who throws their arm around someone else's shoulder and says, hey, you know, let's, let's raise our game a little bit. That's the innovation leader. That's the trait. On the next one, setting clear expectations. This isn't a one-way thing, right? It's not about a manager telling employees, this is what you need to do. It's two ways, right? Teams and employees have to know what's expected of them for sure. But similarly, the, the organization has to know what that team is capable of, right? So there's no mismatch between strategy and execution. I call that the strategy execution gap. You say you want to achieve this, but you're not able to do it because the potential of the team isn't there. The only way you're going to know that is when the team is very open and honest with itself and a leader says, we cannot do that the way we're currently constructed. Or we will do that, but it's going to look like this. That's the set setting clear expectations that you get from the innovation leader within the team. Something all of you can do is strengthen your innovation network, right? Kevin talked about how, how people kind of just move their day to day and they do the same thing, same thing they did the day before. But all of you know, if you have a conversation with someone who's adjacent to your industry, if you if you sit on a webinar with someone like me you're going to get a little spark, right? You're gonna make a connection that you didn't previously have. You can't learn what you already know. So if you just sit in your little bubble and you try to come up with new ideas, you're very limited in your potential. But if you, strength, if you work to actively strengthen your innovation network and meet new people and learn new things, your potential grows, your team's potential grows. That's what the innovation leader does and it happens from wherever you sit. Uh, the fourth thing, the best leaders recognize that change is obviously hard, right? Leaders know that. It's not only hard to execute, but it's hard to accept and it's hard to deal with, right? The key for that is empathy. I am not the model for leading with empathy, but I've learned how to be coached on that. I've learned how to surround myself with these leaders who know how to lead change empathetically. Um, it's, you know, it's key for establishing feedback loops. So if you're empathetic, if you're trying to recognize where people are with change, you can understand what other types of actions might be required to, to activate change. Uh, the bottom middle one is pretty obvious, right? Being accountable. Um, but it's not enough to just say all of the things that, that you're gonna do on this slide, right? Great, great leaders are actually, they are these things, right? They're not just saying them, they're not, it's not theater. They build all of these expectations into their psyche and they maintain accountability, not only to the organizations, but to themselves. Once they make the choice to become an innovation leader, that is their new psyche. 
and, and these are the types of behaviors that they will display forevermore. Yeah. And finally, oh, yeah, go ahead, Kevin. That's fine. No, no, please. Okay. Finally, I'll talk about a lesson on empowerment. And uh, I think this is probably my last salient point, and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll start to wrap things up. But a leader cannot say to others, you are empowered, or I told you you're empowered. That's not how empowerment works, right? The best a leader can do is build an environment where other employees feel empowered. Empowerment is a feeling that someone has to have from within. You cannot empower someone else. That's not how the verb works. So the ultimate objective here, like we've been talking about, if you're a great innovation leader and you do all of these things, what you're doing is you're reducing the risk of taking risks within your organization or within your team so that innovation can happen. Yeah, and these are these are great points when we think of these expectations. And then back to that auditing example that I gave, you know, we, we just look at, you know, that 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 one thing, that one program, it creates so many wins and opportunities um, inside of our business. And if you've heard me talk in the last couple of weeks, you'll you'll know that I'm not in the moment very bullish about our business from a revenue standpoint. I'm extremely bullish on the opportunities to strengthen, rebuild retool to come out stronger. So you know, going back to kind of that one example, you know, the audit program, we have a better, more accurate shop, compliance wins, legal wins, operations win. Now we're collecting data, we're strengthening our team, we're infusing that into our sales and marketing efforts. Five different teams that win right there. That's kind of what that empowering culture um, that Aaron discusses creates. So as, as we look at, and like Aaron said, wrapping up, there's a couple questions we want to get to. We'll run a few minutes long, but everybody's welcome to, to stay on. But um, there's some really, really cool questions that, that I want to dive into. Um, back to some of the themes that we discussed about, you know, what's, what's the timing? What's the, the change factors and the response options? You know, where are there opportunities? Where aren't there opportunities to do this? And, and like Aaron said, you know, who, who challenges you to get out of your, your comfort zone? Is it, a, is it a colleague? Is it a coworker? Is it a, is it a family member? Um, haven't really thought about that, but I talk to my wife about business all the time. She talks with me. You know, there's resources available to all of us, not just the person, you know, the, the next desk over. Um, and these, of course, are my kids. And every, I, I, I put them in every presentation. It's the only time that day they were, they were nice to each other. Um, but we always try and humanize things uh, a little bit. Um, so as, 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 again, we kind of wrap it up and, and start tackling some of the, the questions that we have, you know, where are other specific examples that we can see it inside of our, our industries? Well, recruiting and hiring, to remote interviewing, remote onboarding. And, and I think this is something, again, I've, I've spoken about and written about recently. I, I, I do think there's an emerging cultural shift toward um, looking at your teams evaluating their individual strengths and weaknesses, and perhaps making a change as newly available talent has been let go somewhere else. Really messy. And, and I know a lot of people, gosh, that just doesn't really, on, on a human level, we're uncomfortable with that. And I absolutely understand it. But I, I think a real innovative strategy, thinking of some of these concepts that Aaron talks about, you know, is to kind of tear down and rebuild your team with a, a stronger supporting cast. As as screeners, you know, I, 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 it's not always the technology. I talk about the widget on the website, and here's sometimes where where people might disagree with me. We're talking about innovation as a culture. We're talking about it as a mindset. Sometimes technology is is really just designed for a specific purpose. You know, to to get one segment of the market to to like something. Um, and and as as competitors, sometimes we look at that and think, well, should I go in that direction because it looks good? Should I not go in that direction? What's that process that I undertake within my organization to determine what's what's right for me? You know, I, so a lot of tech solutions really don't have anything to do with innovation, but it's easy to think of that in the layman's terms we've discussed. So but those are some of the ideas Aaron and I are are, are trying to demystify here. Um, Aaron, let's dive into a couple of the questions that. that that we've gotten over the last few days. Um, yeah, of course. Is, you know, does, 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 I got you, there's so many of them, there's so, so many good ones. Um, is it, let's start here. Is, is innovation expensive? Do I have to throw a lot of money at this? <laughs> you know, our revenues are down. Nobody can go to work. Nobody can get on an airplane. 
um, how much is this going to cost me? Yeah, it doesn't have to be, right? So it, it goes back to what what's the way that, that you and your team and your organization define innovation? What objective is it that you're trying to achieve? Uh, when at Transamerica, we had an entire innovation category of operational innovation where the objective was cost reduction. And so we were applying new technologies to reduce costs. And so, no, it doesn't have to be expensive, but if you're going to you know, change the products that you build, if you're going to build new capabilities and install new technologies that don't reduce costs, and yeah, it can, it can absolutely be expensive. Um, so you need to sometimes set aside a big budget for innovation. Um, but it really just varies, right? It, it depends. And that's going to unfortunately be my answer to a lot of the questions that you ask. Yeah, right. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's just different degrees of yes. Um, here's one. Do, do you see these, these um, you know, leadership declarations of innovation? We shall innovate. Um, is, is it mostly spurred on from a, um, a, an operational gap or recognized weakness internally? Or is it more of a, a reaction to lackluster sales or, or marketing growth? Yeah, it's difficult to discern the pattern. Other than yes. Right. <laughs> um, sometimes you don't know, right? You will get an, a team leader or a CEO saying, we need to be more innovative, um, but you don't know what's, why they're actually saying that. In the few instances that I've seen it firsthand, um, I've been lucky enough to have leaders say, you know, for instance, in the life insurance industry, they would say, this is not a growing industry. You know, it's growing year over year about three to five percent. So it's very difficult to be innovative in this industry because it's just, it's just not high growth. But then he made the declaration, but we will be the ones, right? We will be the ones to lead the charge. We will be the ones to change the way that consumers interact with insurance. And that was inspiring. Right. So he wanted a different outcome. He wanted 10 percent growth in an industry that got three to five. Um, that's what brought on the declaration. But then he was also very attentive to. Establishing that context for the organization, but I've also seen it where I didn't understand, you know, why did that leader just say we're going to be more innovative? Is it just because he wants that value in the organization? Is it because he read it in a book, saw it in a seminar? I don't I don't know. And, and that's difficult for employees to, to rally behind. Okay, uh, another question. Does this company size dictate how innovative um, or, or successful a company is at innovating? For example, a smaller company may be more innovative but or may want to be more innovative but might not have the talent on staff to think like you do, Aaron. Um, the flip side, larger companies may have an innovation team, but how nimbly can, can they steer the larger ship? Yeah, I, I think agility, to your point, is more common in smaller teams. Um, I always say small teams can accomplish mighty things. So even inside of a large organization, if we're going to be innovative, and if I'm going to be on the team that's expected to innovate, I want a team of three, four, or five people. If it gets bigger than that, it can become really unwieldy and really slow. The, the default, you know, it defaults to consensus decision-making. Consensus decision-making, unfortunately, is very slow. What we've seen in COVID-19 era, though, is that organizations have to cut out consensus decision-making in order to keep their businesses alive. So what happens is that innovation happens a lot faster. So if that organization size, it has this kind of big, difficult to steer you know, culture around it, it can really stand in the way of, of innovation. And then the smaller team is going to have you know, more opportunity to innovate. Okay. Um, but the, the bigger organization will obviously have more resources, more talent to pull from. Let's do let's do two more real quick, and uh, then we'll get people out close to the top of the hour. Um, when uh, Aaron, it seems like when leaders command innovation you know, from from the top, um, there's a reasonably good chance they're hurting the organization more than helping it. Um, is is that does that happen sometimes? Yeah, organizations can have fear, right? They can want yeah, and it comes to identity, right? An organization has an identity and people will establish themselves in that context of that organizational identity. And when, an, when a leader says, hey, we're gonna innovate, it can, say, it can signal to the organization that we are going to change very rapidly. And that can be very unsettling and can actually do a lot of damage, like you're saying. 
um, you might get talented employees who want to go back to the way things were or want that comfort of knowing how things are going to operate, they might end up leaving if you don't innovate in the right way, if you don't manage the change correctly. Um, so I, I would recommend paying very close attention to best practices and change management when you are uh, announcing that you're going to become more innovative when we're trying to innovate and change things. All right. Um, and the last one, um, Aaron, does does innovating mean we always have to change something? Is it okay to, to, to go through the processes that you describe and, and ultimately decide that, that we're comfortable with, with where we're at and what we're doing? Yeah, right. Innovation can be a value. And if, if, if the value of innovation, if the competency is already well established in your organization, um, you don't need to change anything. Take a look at some of the most successful organizations out there. Take a look at your Amazons, your Tesla, uh, where I come from, Capital One, where I spent eight years of my life. These are incredibly successful, innovative organizations. As a result, they don't even use the word innovation. It's redundant. Everything they do is innovative. It's built into their DNA. It's built into their strategy. It's built into their people. Um, so to say we're going to innovate is very difficult uh, to, to change anything because they're already doing it. Uh, so it's really exciting when you're in one of those environments, but it's also very fast paced and you have to you have to be cut out for that kind of change because <laughs> everything's always moving underneath you and around you. Uh, and, that, and that takes some getting used to for sure. But certainly, you know, you can go through these processes and say, you know what, we are a mature organization. We know how to innovate already. We're not changing the thing. Well, Aaron, can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to join us today. I'll send to everybody the PowerPoint that we reviewed today. If you have more questions or need to find either of us for a follow-up, you can find Aaron um, through his website, todaysinnovator.com, or email Aaron at todaysinnovator.com, myself, cradoctor.com, or Kevin at cradoctor.com. Uh, Aaron, thanks again. Really, really happy you can join us, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks, Kevin. I always love talking shop, so uh, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.